this message called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and what this is, I think, is a beautiful inaugural beginning or introduction into the kingdom of God. At one point, people were doing uh, 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 Judaism and it was uh, uh, the, the, the law, like my brother John mentioned up here. Uh, now Jesus is ushering in or introducing an entirely new and different way that God has ordained from his people to live. And in here, he actually gives us both an identity and a mission. An identity and a mission. And so this is what we're going to Salt, light, and the city. Salt, light, and the city. Now, I'll confess to you that I really enjoy words, okay? Now, uh, my grandparents are gonna get credit for it. I kinda think I should though, I'ma tell you why, right? I was one of those kids who never really ran out of like stuff to say. <laughs> like somehow, like, and, and so I'll be honest with you, I hear about it and I don't really believe it sometimes when they tell me but I was born at just the time where, where video cameras became a thing. Now the old big ones that you had to put the thing on your shoulder and you put the tape in. And my grandfather had one of those that he set up in our basement and just recorded me talking. That thing is probably 48, 49 minutes long. I'm maybe six. There's no pause in that video. I don't even know if I took a breath in the, it seems like it's just one long thing. Here's the thing, I wasn't talking about nothing. <laughs> if you, <laughs> this is the thing, right? If the person came with you, then you can't laugh, all right? You can't laugh. Have someone ever been talking to you and you, you're trying to listen, but you realize talking about nothing. <laughs> if they hear it, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh. Just, just, just straight face, frowning. Say no, you've never had that happen. That's, that's, I was that kid with my parents. I was talking all the time as a kid. And because I talked so much, uh, my grandparents decided, well, we need to give them something to do that's constructive. So I was the kid that they made read the dictionary. Now, I don't know if we still do this. Is this, is this a thing now? Does it, am I up here being the old guy? I'm not that old. I had to read the dictionary, all right? And now here's the bad part. I started to like it. <laughs> and then I wanted to come back and talk to them about what I read in the dictionary. It backfired on them. <laughs> they thought this would keep me busy. All it did was give me fuel to come back and blow them up. And then I would come back and question, hey, do you know what repudiate means? And then, you know, I was a kid that like just read all in that one letter, right? So my vocabulary grew one letter at a time. <laughs> all the R's right? All the T's, right? Every day. And this was something that I did. And because of this, I fell in love with words at a really early age. We would have the book challenge at school where you got to read 21 books or read 40 books in a month. And I would read them all. And it was very interesting because I was one of those kids that started talking a little later. Uh, my name, my government name is Alfonso Phillips. And for maybe the first four Alfonso Phillips, I couldn't get the PH just right. Uh, but for me, what totally changed my language and even my ability to communicate was my love for reading and my love for words and what words did in interpersonal communication. 
Now, you would think I went to school to study communication. I didn't. I should have. I missed that calling, perhaps, or that bill, depending on how you look at it. But what God has, has kind of done, I think, even throughout that process, is for me, when I read in the Bible where Jesus uses a metaphor, to me, that's a big deal. Like words mean something. And, and, and to use a metaphor is to essentially take one word that seemingly doesn't apply, but to use it in a way where it actually speaks to something totally different by this center counterpoint of comparison. So a metaphor is a powerful way to explain a, a large thing or a complicated thing in a very simple way. And so if Jesus takes the time to give us a metaphor, I'm the kind of person that I think we should zoom in, right? And in the same way as it relates to metaphors and even the way Jesus talks about us specifically, it deserves us to zoom in, to pay extra close attention, all right? So for the next two weeks, we're going to do this. Now for this week, we're going to focus on salt, on light, and on this city. And then next week, we'll focus on an actual parable and we'll kind of see how we might interpret that. All right? Make sense? Everybody with me? You didn't bored yet, did it? That was just the opening word thing. I didn't lose you right there. All right? So we need a basic understanding. Let's have a basic or a simple understanding of what it means to be salt, to be light in a city. And we'll expand this over the next few minutes, all right? Now, what does it mean to be salt? Now, in the scriptures, there's so many references to salt. And even outside of the scriptures, if you were to look up salt and light on YouTube, you would get all kinds of messages about all kinds of things. For example, uh, in the Old Testament, there's what we call, uh, uh, what's known as the, the covenant of salt, which speaks to uh, the permanence of the covenant, how it endures over time. Right? Uh, there was this, this, I saw one really good message about how salt stings in the wound and how the people of God are supposed to be a sting in the wound of the world to remind them that they need Jesus. Very interesting. The guy was very eloquent when he said it. There's other types of salt where uh, people talk about how salt is flavor. It makes things taste good. And so uh, uh, God looks at the stew of the world and it doesn't taste quite white. So he sprinkles you in it as the salt of the earth. Ah, yes, now we got something. Out of all of the different possibilities for salt as a metaphor, for what salt could mean, uh, if we were to say maybe err on caution, the most primary meaning or primary uh, function for salt in the day and age that this is written is this, preservation. It's preservation. Salt is an antiseptic. And at this day and age, its primary use is to literally counteract a natural process of decay and corruption. This is what salt does. It counteracts the natural process of decay and corruption. So if we would have a very simple definition, and again, we'll, we'll stretch it out in a second, uh, but at its sort of simplest kind of baseline, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, after all of the, the beatitudes that he just laid out, what we see congruent in the text is a counterculture. In other words, you are not like everybody else. You're not like them, you're not like them, you are different. You have this ability to counteract or go against the natural process of corruption or decay. You with me? That's salt. Now light is a little easier. 
Because light boils down to two things primarily. One, dispelling darkness. Two, revealing truth. All right? So salt speaks to this preservative that fights or counteracts against decay and corruption. Light reveals truth, dispels darkness. Make sense? And then he says a city. Now, what makes the city relevant is the fact that this you in the Greek is a plural you. All right? Now, the Greek uh, people who wrote this, they weren't like us, so they don't use a word that we use all the time. You know what that word is? Y'all. It would help. I'm, tell, I'm serious. I believe that if somebody went in the scriptures and translated the use to y'alls, oh, we'd, we'd get it. It would make sense. Because we read yous and we think me. We read a you and think, oh, yeah, this is me in my personal situation. This is not you by yourself. This is a y'all. Y'all means you and others, right? In this case, it's, it's called an emphatic, and it means you, or, in this, or you know, my translation, y'all and only y'all. And who is the y'all in this context? Jesus is talking to his disciples. So this is Jesus saying to his disciples that you, you and only y'all, are the salt of the earth are the light of the world and you all create a city when you come together that shines in a way that cannot be hidden or ignored. Everybody with me? So the basic understanding for both salt, life, light, I'm sorry, and a city, salt, preserves against the natural progression of decay and corruption. Light dispels darkness, reveals truth. And the city is the assembly or the calling together of those that are sought and light. Powerful imagery. Do you see the picture even as we're talking? Can you envision a city shining bright in the darkness, full of varying lights? I can't. So the idea here in, with both weeks is that we're going to find or explain how these metaphors expose us, how they explain us, and how they might inspire us. How they expose us, how they explain us, and how they inspire us. Now, you might have already caught the first one. These metaphors of salt, light, this city, how does this expose us? Point blank period is this. Salt is of no value if it's not engaged in the situation to preserve. The first way salt exposes us is it exposes our passivity and the situations around us that we choose not to engage in. Doesn't matter how thick or good, the the best kind of salt that I may have, if I never take the salt and rub it into the meat, get it in there nice and good, then all of the, the preservative nature, all of the capacity of the salt is of no value to the thing that it's meant to preserve. 
The first way this is, is incredibly exposing is it exposes the, far, the, the, the part of us, the element of us that is comfortable not being a part of the world around us because they're not like us and they don't think like us and they don't do what we do. Even the concept of, or the metaphor of salt exposes some of us that see ourselves apart from the situations around them and aren't willing to get involved just yet. which I think may have a couple of reasons. I think sometimes it's fear because, you know, we don't want to be the deep one or the church one or the heavy one. Other times, I, I believe that the enemy has so distracted us with sin that we are of no use and no witness to necessary situations around us. This is something personally I wrestle with. Because I'm busy a lot of the time. And I'm not happy about it. Like, I'm, I want to make some real decisions to change this. I got to wait for something to get back first. Because I'm busier now that he's gone. It doesn't work, right? I need to wait for him to get back. And then I want to make some decisions. Because uh, there is this, this level of comfort and confidence that we feel when we're busy doing things. Right? You're checking stuff off the list, things are happening, and you feel good about it, but it will give the impression that what God wants most out of you is just this busybody zipping in here and there and all of that stuff. It's, and, and, and what we do is we will miss situations around us that are calling for your influence. Now, here's the thing about influence. Most of us don't know we have influence until we misuse it. You think right now, well, no one listens to you. You have no influence. You couldn't say anything to affect anybody until you say the wrong thing. Until you do the wrong thing and then someone tells you how they're affected by it and you realize you might have more influence than you think. The idea exposes our, our just inner feeling we have but that we won't get involved or too engaged in the affairs of life around us. And the same goes for salt, or, or, and for light rather, because light isn't meant to be something kept hidden. However, I guarantee you there are times in your life where you have, you have been talked into by the devil dimming your light or crowding down around it. You got something to say and you, no, no, he put something on your heart and you, no, I, don't, I might say it wrong. I can't wait for us to get Bible study going in the fall because there is this innate sense of fear around people standing up for the truth because they feel like they can't answer every biblical question. Because they feel like they don't have all of the perfect answers and as a result, they stay hidden and they live these lives where somebody has given a light and the light is being crowded out by their own fears and the things that they are afraid or worried about. And then we get to meet with people and we get to have a conversation and we get to talk to people and I find out that, that God has answered a lot of the things that they're struggling with, that they know the answers, they have it written down in their phone. 
channels. But the problem is there's fear and, and there is such a hidden obscurity that they're sitting in that they can't execute the dream of God in their hearts. And as a result, the city's dark. Not because we don't have you, not because you're not here, sometimes because you're not here, but mostly because you have selected to live a dimmed lesser life. Where the gospel and the, the light of Jesus doesn't quite come through you because you are in this state of being hidden or being obscure or doubting who God has made you to be. Sought in light expose the part of us that won't get involved, that may be passive, that honestly sometimes is spiritually cowardice. And I know that's not an attractive word to use, but there are people around us sometimes begging, begging to be seen, begging to be walked with, and you have it in you, and because of fear or, or some sin that's undealt with or some unforgiveness or because it doesn't look the way you think it should, you shut down and they don't get the benefit of who God has made you to be. Be like this. But the first one, we got to feel a sense of... Maybe I haven't been sought in the spaces and relationships around me. Now, here's the thing about being sought. It means you're going to be in some decaying situations. Here's the thing. How many of us want to be in decaying situations? <laughs> That's not a prayer of yours. You don't wake up going, hey, God, would you just really bless me to, to be in a situation that's dying so that I can resurrect it in Jesus' name? No. 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 Guess what? Does not stop it from happening. I don't know if you know it or not, but God doesn't need you to pray for him to get you. He ain't like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. He didn't ask for it yet. Let's hold on. No. No. Here's the best part about this. I've been talking about this for eight minutes. Most of y'all got at least two or three situations right now you can think about that are around you decaying that you're choosing not to get involved in because it just seems messy. Because <laughs> you don't want to go down with them. You know how they say, don't save a drowning person. <laughs> and some of y'all use that spiritually. Like, no, 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 no. I can't save a drowning person. They might take me with them. You've been saved for 20 years. They're going to take you. <laughs> I'm sorry. The point is that salt both require us to get in the game, to get involved. Salt isn't worth anything until it's rubbed in to the meat that it's meant to preserve. That's when it works to counteract the decay, when it gets engaged, when it gets involved, when it becomes uh, uh, in, in, in not just engaged or involved, but actively participating in a situation or a relationship or a need. You can't be sought the way you're supposed to be until you are actually engaged in the world around you. I don't know if you know it or not, but Jesus does you no good if you don't want to get involved in the lives of people and relationships and things and issues around you. What good is it? You gonna come here and dance? Mm, going to heaven. What, 
would be the long-lasting effect of that? What would be the impact of it is the only worship you ever do is here with us. I wonder what would worship look and sound like if you were your most effective away from the church building. Because then when you came back, we'd be celebrating how good it was and what God did when you were away. Can you just do the TV thing with me? Just look up and just imagine what worship was. They came to church riding the wave of their obedience all week long. Somebody going, you can't take Sonny. He's not answering his phone, so you got to deal with it. We're here now. <laughs> he can't be like, hey, Sonny, come back. Father's wallet. Nope, don't work. So salt, light, and this being this city, it exposes us. Now, the city is incredible. It exposes the part of us that has relational inertia. <laughs> and that's a beautiful way to word. You don't really want to be around anybody too much. <laughs> Like some of us, let's be honest, some of us are struggling with the idea of community. We feel like, hey, we get saved, we get brought into the family of faith, and then it's like, yeah, well, we'll interact with that whenever it seems necessary or whenever we really need something. But for the most part, I can kind of obey God on my own. And guess what? Not true. Not true. You got a couple, a couple little grains of salt ain't going to do nothing. Right? A couple little lights, a little flicker, that's like a firefly. You ever seen a firefly? It's hard to pinpoint where it is because it just flickers back and forth. You see it, but you never are, you're never able to really access it. And God has called us to be light, even a city of lights. So the first way that this metaphor does, it exposes us. Now, let's look at how it explains us. This metaphor of and city uh, not just exposes us but it explains us it gives some definition into why we are the way we are see here's the thing about an identity it's who you are not just what you do Jesus doesn't just say hey do some salty things no he says you are salt you are a preservative in a natural progression of decay and corruption we do not have to get very deep to look around our world and see that there is a disintegration as it relates to truth, to family, to values, to community. Like now, everybody has a community. People that don't even do anything have a community of people that don't do anything. Everybody has a community. And if everybody's in community, even though we're not being together, this is literally a time where scientists study and say we are more disconnected than we ever have been. People are more alone today than at any point. Even though we have all of these groups that we are part of. I don't even want to know how many Facebook groups some of y'all are a part of. I just saw my wife's. It's crazy. It's crazy. I didn't know that there was that many Facebook groups. Although we have so many community options, somehow we're still alone. Somehow we're still not at a point to where we are actually experiencing the closeness and the intimacy that God has designed for. Salt explains not just uh, what we don't do, but it explains even your giftness. It explains why you are where you are, why you go to the school you go to or the class that you're in or the family you're in. Ah, Jesus. 
You know, the family is like the first thing we wrestle with sometimes about God, right? Because you don't choose your family. You wish you could, right? But you don't. And so the family is the first time where we kind of have this space to, to learn our place in this sense of community, in this group of other personalities. And without doing that right, literally studies say that we are affected for the rest of our lives. If that first four, I think six or eight years goes bad, you'll carry it for the next 50. That's how important that sense of community is. And when God and Jesus is saying, you're salt and you're light, what he was saying is, hey, you are a counter-cultural influence. You're not meant to be like everybody else. You're not meant to walk and to act and to talk and to think like everybody else. That's why this comes right after the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. Blessed are uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's why these are set up that way. So that it's very clear clear that Jesus is introducing a new kingdom is flipped in this kingdom the the successful one isn't the one that has all of the possessions in this kingdom the successful ones are the ones who live out the reality and the person no character and the personhood of Jesus the Christ and I wish somebody like Sometimes I wish we could translate these things so that people got them very clearly because without it, we will be fighting a war God never intended us to fight. As salt in light, we are not supposed to go around trying to, to force people to do stuff, trying to force people to act like us, trying to teach people church rhetoric and all of this other stuff. Like the idea is in a time where everybody seems to be divisive or running away from being together, we as salt are to run towards unity to run towards humility. At a time where people are self this and self that and self this, we are a counterculture. We do the opposite to counteract that sense of decay and corruption. Make sense? It seems like such a small metaphor, but it has such a huge implication. Now here's the thing, salt moves in silence, kind of. Salt isn't braggadocious. Like salt ain't making a big scene. Salt just kind of get in where he fit in, you know? He just gonna get in the third. He just gonna do that. But now light is something very different. Salt has to not lose its saltiness, which of course in our day sounds crazy because today sodium chloride doesn't lose its saltiness. So it seems like a misnomer, like Jesus made a mistake. Well, at that time, the way they uh, derived salt from marshes and things of that nature, the salt actually was mixed with a lot of different other things and it would lose its impurity and it would get diluted. And over time, that salt would lose its saltiness. And when that would happen, they would throw it out in the street. And that's why he says it's no good for nothing but to be trampled over by feet. Because when salt lost its saltiness, they would take it and throw it out in the street. If they do it in the field, it would kill the crops. So they didn't do that. And as a result, right, when we hear salt, when we hear uh, light, what's intended is a very clear anti-direction or a very clear counter-direction from the way things are going around us. So when Jesus says, hey, you're the salt, you're the light, the intention there is that they are meant to balance each other out. The salt speaks to what we do in silence. So it's not making a big fanfare about it. But the light is how you live and what you say about how you live that leads people to know how you got the light in the first place. 
See, salt is a, it's a low key thing. It's something that we do. But as light, our job is to point people or to reflect people back to the source of the light. Every writer says this, and I'll say it too, because it's true. The moon, as pretty as it is, has no light in it. And there's some nights where the moon seems like that thing is shining as bright as could be. And the moon has zero light within it. There's no illumination in the moon. It's empty. It's, it's not, it's hollow. It's definitely not hollow, but there's no light there. The moon is simply reflecting the light from the sun. It has no light. It's only light quality is essentially reflecting what the sun has thrown and it reflects it back to us. I think it's easy to assume that maybe depending on how you grew up or what you've been through, that your light has, has taken on the fashion of your experiences. And so some of us have branded ourselves the talkative kid, <laughs> the knucklehead, the broken young lady, the one that nobody sees, the one that's always picked over, the one that has so much to give but never gets a chance, the victim, the champion, the one that wins no matter what. What I find is that all of Narratives that we assign to ourselves, we allow there to be a certain kind of light that goes with it. And some of us think that uh, the light of Jesus in our life won't be as good as somebody else's because of our failures and because of the things that we have done. And God, I wish you would hear Jesus saying to you today that you are light no matter what you have done. God does not, I repeat, he does not go into your life and tweak your light because of some of the stuff you've done. Let it sink in, just a second. The light that you have, you got from God. He says you are a light and that light does not diminish or get adjusted because you disobeyed or even because you went the wrong way because this is your identity. This is who Jesus says, you emphatically, y'all, no one else, y'all are the salt of the earth, y'all are the light of the world. This is an identity. This is not just what you do, this is who you are. And what do you do with this identity, Jesus? Well, that's why he says, let your light so shine, I'm sorry, that's the King James Version, let your light shine before men, that's just the way we grew up, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, the identity, Salt and light. The mission or what you're supposed to do with it is what? Let your light shine. Can you see it? <laughs> so the metaphor sets you up for the mission. Your salt. You're meant to preserve relationships. Do you realize that Christ in you can help not just uh, uh, reconcile you with God, but you can help other people reconcile with each other? This is why the re-engage announcement is a huge announcement because what that doesn't come from us, that comes from God. Who doesn't just rectify or reconcile relationship with us, he reconciles our relationships one to another. 
So if we're light, you aren't just light just for him, you're light to each other. This is why you can't forget the city. This is why it's salt, light, and a city. If it was just salt and light and we left the city, you might think this is just you individually. No. No, you're meant to be a gathering, an assembly, a called together body of lights that together shine brighter than any one of us ever could. But you won't do it if you think your light isn't good enough. And so you hide or you dim what you have. This is why it said, who lights a lamp and puts it under a bucket? or a peck in that original language. Like who would do that? Why would you set a light under something? You wouldn't. You would put it on a stand, make sure everybody in the house can see so that it lights everything up. And in the same way, God is tired of hiding in your basket when he has given you a light that shines brighter than you think. This is what I love about the mission of letting your light shine. It literally encompasses all of our missions. For some of you, letting your light shine means go to school, okay? Go to school, get good grades, study real hard. Do it as unto the Lord. Don't do it trying to become something. Don't do it trying to prove something, but go to school, get educated, learn how to be a doctor, lawyer, whatever that is, scientist, whatever it is. And when you get the opportunity to do it, you do it as unto God. You do it having the heart of God in mind and the common good for humanity. And for you, that's letting your light shine. For other people, make as many beats as you can. You make all the music you can. You learn how. You, 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 you make a beat until you get paid to make a better one. You keep going. And every time you get the opportunity to work with somebody, you don't just, just come in and do a beat, but you learn who they are. You, you, you have conversations. You live in a way where you can share your story. You can share God at work in your heart. What you love about the beat, what you love about music that, that brings you into an awareness of God. And guess what? That's letting your light shine. Go to seminary. <laughs> Learn how to rightfully divide the word of truth. Yes, do that. That's letting your life shine. Get married. Treat your wife the way Christ would treat the church that he loves, that he's willing to die for. And guess what? That's letting your life shine. When the time comes, have kids and love those babies. Don't provoke them, Jesus. Please don't do it. Love them as the Father God loves us and has demonstrated what it means to care for, to take care of, to be with his kids. And that's letting your light shine. This is what I love about it. It's no one way to let your light shine. It would take too many words for Jesus to sit down and rattle off all the things that we all in this room need to do. But what I love about words is in one few words, one, one just small sentence, Jesus deputizes you, me, and her too all at the same time. By saying, let your light shine. You do the thing that God has put in your heart to do and you do it with him in mind. You do it to the good of humanity. You do it in a way where you live out the kingdom reality, being humble, being a wise, submitting everything is under him. And when accomplishing your and my mission, the, the, like the idea, family, for the church is that the church is supposed to be the place that's not just full of, of spiritually frustrated people. 
make church hard, like really hard, is when the people in the church are so frustrated because they're not actually doing the thing that God has intended for them to do. And I know it seems crazy, right? Why would we not do the thing we're born to do? Well, there's so many reasons, perhaps top of which there is an enemy that won't, like will never just let you do it peacefully. Like you understand that the devil is never like, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead, go into ministry. That's great. I'll leave you alone for a few years. Let you get your feet. Like the devil isn't like, oh, I know you, you're newlyweds. Okay, let me give you some time and let you kind of get the hang of this. And then I'll come check on you. No more than a baby is thinking, hey, I was just born. Let me sleep for a few months and let them get used to this. The idea has always been that the church would be the place where the kingdom of heaven is administrated or executed from. The goal is to have a group of people, a city that are shining in their perspective areas. And every time we come together, we're encouraged, we're exposed, we're convicted a little bit. But the goal every single time we assemble is that our faith will be encouraged and that we would press forward, that we would keep going, encouraged by the body and what God is doing in the lives of each and every one of us. It doesn't mean that we're all superstar Christians, but it does mean that we're all engaged in being who he wants us to be and the mission he's called us to. Can you see that? So salt, light, and a city explains who we are. It explains how you're meant to be in relationship. It explains how you're meant to be in that job. It explains what you're meant to be around people. They're meant to balance each other out. Yeah, there needs to be a point where your light shines so dark that you can put words to it and you can tell uh, anyone who needs to know the God you serve, what has happened in your personal life, how God has come in, not changed you, but totally made you new. You need to be able to put words with that, right? To totally dispel darkness and reveal truth. Let's be clear. It needs to be a point where we develop to the point where we can speak up and say what has happened in our lives and in our hearts. That makes sense? All right. Okay, before we get to the last one, there's one more thing. I think, now this is just me. This isn't anybody else. I didn't read this necessarily. But I think that A church service seems like it's not as important as it is. I've been studying this for a few weeks. I've been trying to wrap my mind around this. Now, I'll be fully honest with you. I grew up in church, all right? So, I don't know, first week, second week of my life, something like that. Ever since then, we had church every Sunday. I'll I'll be honest with you and tell you that uh, before we started the church, there was two years where we... uh, uh, didn't like attend every week. And there was maybe two or three months where I didn't know what to do with my hands on Sunday mornings. I was, I was getting up and like, hey, what do we do now? 
And people said golf and golf didn't seem quite right. And people said, well, you go to the games and that didn't seem quite right. I was one of those people that was raised in church. Church is just Sunday. I put the two and two together, better or worse, not saying it's right. Just saying that's me. The problem with being like that, though, is that church becomes the service. It becomes the repetition. It becomes, hey, all right, we're going to have this person open up. Uh, there's gonna, somebody's going to sing a song. Somebody's going to read a scripture. Somebody's going to preach. Somebody's going to pray. Every once in a while we have communion and that'll be the day. And over 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years, it's very, very easy for that to seem like, oh, okay, we just come, hear a message, hear a song, hear a scripture, go home. And I think what we've missed in that moment is that the, the repetition or the routines of what we are a part of actually are not just mundane. They're actually meant to rehearse this attitude of worship that actually sets us up for, get this, the coming kingdom. I've spent some time with this because I was trying to really wrap my mind around. Like, what if what we do here on Sundays actually isn't about here? C.S. Lewis, you got to have a C.S. Lewis quote in your message for it to be good. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, uh, uh, throughout history, the people who have had uh, the biggest impact or who have served people the most in this life were people who were focused on the next. According to him, the people who have made the biggest impact on, in this life were people who were focused on the life to come. They were focused on the coming kingdom of heaven. They were so focused on that that they did everything they could here to be a light, to be a witness, to be an influence so that as many people as they could, they could bring into the future kingdom. Now, What's your favorite worship song? But, but can we acknowledge that maybe there's value in coming to a place where everybody, for the most part, is here for the same purpose, to exalt Jesus, lift up the name of God, right? And that for, the, and for most of us, right? Maybe a couple exceptions, but for most of us, this is the only place where that's going to happen in our week, right? For most of us, there's no other assembly of believers where people are going to get together who have been changed, who have been literally raised to life by Jesus, who get together to sing to him, to exalt him, to, to dance in his presence, to experience his glory together as one family. What in the world seems mundane or routine about that? Like what if this wasn't just something that, that we set, some time that we set, but what if heaven looked forward to the assembling of the saints in whatever way they get together so that God can be pleased and so that the earth can get a picture of what it looks like to worship and glorify God above all else. I think some of these, these, these routines that we get tired of, some of this church attendance that kind of gets on our nerves, weeks off you know it's just 
What if it's bigger than just us? What if it's bigger than just this? What if every week you're rehearsing your future eternity? What if every week you're, you're getting your sea legs, so to speak, in a coming kingdom? What if you're getting used to the rarefied air of heaven? What if you're getting used to what it means to live in a state of worship and glory to God? Like, could this be more than just, I don't know, a service? Could it be more than just two songs? More than just, hey, he's going to talk to us for an hour and then we get to go home. Could it be more? Could this be rehearsing a future coming glory that we'll get to do forever? See, we won't see it until we see who we really are. I'm convinced that if you think this is just people coming to a room, you'll miss it. This is the coming together of salt and light. This is the coming together of a city in the city. <laughs> it's coming together as this assembly of lights, of, of salt, those who in our own spaces preserve against the natural process of decay. We preserve relationships, we preserve families. Put us in a community, we'll preserve the community. My brother Terrence is, is coaching football. Put us in a football team and we'll start preserving relationships with young men wherever you need us father and while we're there we'll be who we are which is counteract the natural process of decay and corruption you salt you are light you don't just have some light you don't just do light stuff you aren't just lit I wasn't going to say it. I thought I rethought it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It's more to it than that. You are literally the agency of a holy God and his kingdom being set up in this space in a way where everything about the way you live and how you live and how you communicate points back to the future kingdom that's both right now and not yet. And everything you do matters. Because you got influence. You're a counterculture in and of yourself. Yeah, you need to be okay with being noticed. Yes. You need to be okay with being different. Yes. You need to be okay with being maligned and reviled because of the God and the kingdom you are a part of. Salt, light, city exposes us, explains us, should inspire us but maybe not the way you think let's read something together about salt and light and I'm closing this is close number one amen put, put me in the books Flynn didn't think I was but I am alright Bible says this in Matthew we're going to back up just a little bit Matthew chapter 5 we're going to go back and read verses 11 and 12. This is what the Bible said. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad <laughs> for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Nobody's shouting or jumping. 
<laughs> Nobody hears that and like takes off and does a quick lap around the, we don't do that, I guess. We're not the lap church, got chords and stuff. We don't hear, bless it and get excited. It's, 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 it's strange. I wonder what the original audience would have read <laughs> when they sat down to read the words of Jesus and Jesus says, hey, blessed or blessed are you rather, y'all, when you're persecuted, and again, let's be clear, not because you've been doing stuff, not because you're agitating people, not because you're annoying people or Bible thumping or hitting people over the head. No, no, no. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because you did it my way. Because you chose to live my way as salt and light. Because you chose to get involved when others wouldn't. You engage and you use your influence. And, and, and you should know this. If I haven't said it, I'll say it again. Like salt and light does attract, but it also repels. Be clear. Yeah, there's going to be some people that come to you when you're salt and light. There's also going to be some people that malign you, that talk about you, that hate on you, that spread things about you. There may be some positions you don't get. There may be some opportunities that you don't get. And, and, and when that happens, Jesus says, now you got it. Now you got it. Blessed are they. He says, your reward is great in heaven. He said, when, when they malign you, when they try to deny you something, don't worry. You're getting a greater reward. He's telling you in heaven, something bigger than you could ever imagine is happening. Like it, this is incredible. And I, I got I to gotta stop. But this is incredible because Jesus sees the cross. We don't at this point. Right at Matthew 5, if we were trying to take in this journey as it started, we wouldn't know. We, they, they didn't see it that the cross was coming in, in, in the view. They didn't know that Jesus did, but we didn't. So the reading this, they would have, okay, all right, well, Jesus is saying things are different now. Now the poor in spirit, guys, is blessed or successful, which is another way to translate that in our language. Not necessarily happy, let's be clear. Fortunate, not necessarily happy, right? Blessed or successful, uh, uh, worthy of accolades is what that says. And what God, what Jesus really says is, when this happens, you are stepping in to a greater knowledge and awareness and relationship with me. I bet you thought that the inspiring part was gonna be, uh, cause you go out there, oh man, God gonna run it up on you. You gonna get whatever you want. It's gonna be so incredible. That because you're salt and light, every time you step into a room, they're going to go, ooh, back up. That's salt right there. They're going to go, oh, no, no, wait, wait, hold on. That's light. Let me get the door light. Hold on. Let me get the door. Let me get the door. Like, here's the truth. What if, what if you decide to be salt in spaces where you have not been getting engaged and it doesn't go well? What if your obedience to Christ does not make you popular? What if you're not the go-to friend, the hangout? What if you're not the first call? What if your social, social circle takes a hit? I know this sounds old, but your dance card ain't so full. I'm sorry, it was there, I couldn't. Thank my grandparents. What if doing this thing God's way Get you everything God promised you, but never the way you thought it would come. 
The greatest inspiration here is not, oh, everything is going to happen. It's going to be so beautiful. The inspiration is, is that as salt, as light, as a city of light, guess what? You reflect the character, the person of Jesus. And there's no greater place for the human being than safely nestled in the will, comfort, and character formation of Jesus the Christ. I don't know if you know it or not, but the best version of you is not you with a lot of money. It's not you with that sweet car. It ain't you with all of your kids doing everything you say. Would be nice, but that's not the best version. (laughs) The best version is Christ fully formed in you. The hope of glory fully formed. It's when you look most... That's the inspiration of the metaphor. Not that, hey, if you do this, everything. No, no, no. If you do this, if you obey Jesus, the reward is him. You get him. That's the inspiration. The inspiration is that you look like him and you get to partake of his life. Because whether you know it or not, the whole reason we got the attitudes is because of this cross that Jesus will go to. See, Jesus came poor. That's how the poor is blessed. See, Jesus came lowly and meek. That's why the meek is blessed. See, Jesus actually is the one that flips it. When Jesus gives us the beatitudes, he's actually introducing this inaugural kingdom that is embodied, that's lived out by him first so Jesus has given us him saying hey blessed are they when they persecute you people are talking at that point well no Jesus when he thinks of persecution what does he think about the cross Calvary salt light in a city what will inspire us most is that our being salt our being light, our being a city of light and letting our light shine, which is our mission, is the way we can honor Christ the most. And do you know what maybe the best byproduct, like what the best thing that Jesus is, and I promise I'm done for real now. First one I was warming you up, this is it. The end of verse 16, when the Bible says, hey, let your light, so I'm sorry, King James again, let your light shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. The point of all of those words is that phrase. You thought salt and light was the biggest part of the sentence. No. You thought the city was the biggest thing. No, no, nope. You thought letting the light shine, that's the biggest thing. Nope, all of that is to one end, which is that, which is what? Glorifying your Father which is in heaven. There is no greater call than that of glorifying our Father which is in heaven. Hear me, the safest safest place for us, family, is in a place where we are not receiving any glory, but rather reflecting the glory back to our Father in heaven. And until we get to that point, we'll always be tempted to take some of that glory for ourselves, and trust me, it kills. We aren't built to handle God's glory. Like it kills if you, you start thinking that, oh, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm salt. <laughs> I'm pretty salty, you know. I'm, I'm kind of brighter than I thought I would. So you're meant to be salt. You're meant to counteract against the process of decay. 
You're meant to be light. You're meant to dispel darkness and to reveal truth by the way you live it out, by the way uh, you speak and the way you go about your life. We're meant to be a city, a community of lights, if you will. We're meant to live as a city of believers. Our strategy here is up, in, and out. And some of you may think that's just a Detroit church thing. Well, that's actually the church throughout ages. Since its inception, the church has been about ministry to God, ministry to one another, and ministry to the world outside. That's up, in, and out. I can give you pretty words and all of that, but it basically, oh, there's the pretty words up. There you go. We encounter God together, we build community, we immerse. Again, I know some people are going to go, oh, that sounds great, but I don't exactly know. I'll help you. Ministry to God, ministry to each other, ministry to the world around us. I'll make it really, really easy for you. All of us are called to it. Now, some of us may have a bend. Some of us may uh, have a, a, a skill set or a gifting that maybe leans towards one or the other. That may, that may be fair. But this is what our city is called to in this city. You're called to be a city of lights, uh, a city of lights that have worship to God vertically, uh, that, that love and nurture relationships horizontally, and that cannot forget that we're here to make disciples. We're here so that the, the lost can be sought after. So that we're here so that they aren't forgotten like we have to keep this front of mind. And thank God that Jesus gave us metaphors like salt, light, and the city. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.